0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Got a nice intimate crowd here today. We know we have people out on vacation and whatnot. This is how summer goes, right? I mean, you've got a very small window in Michigan to go camping and and do those things, vacations, so I'm excited actually to go on vacation this week. Make sure you're here next week. Not only do we have uh, Peter and Jess Heist inviting us out to the farm uh, just for a bite to eat and some fellowship, that's the most important thing, right? Getting to know one another. Uh, But also Pete will be speaking next week, uh, covering the pulpit, so I'm excited about that. He always has a great word. How many enjoyed his word on the matrix? It was great, wasn't it? Uh, We just, man, it's absolutely beautiful. I was thinking about what you were just saying there, Devin, that that whole it is well with my soul. And what's interesting about that is you can say that even if things aren't well in your day-to-day life. If your physical circumstances aren't perfect or where you'd like them to be, you can still say it is well with my soul. That's really powerful because... You know, nobody can touch your soul like God can touch your soul. Now, sometimes we let outside influences. Maybe we let the circumstances that are going on around us, we, uh, the things that we see, you know, the things that we don't even see. That's what worry is, right? It's, worry is, is putting into the future what you think may or may not happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And so there's so many times that we have to go, wait, wait. That's why Jesus said to cast your care, your worry on me, for I care for you. So we can see, okay, he knows my future. I don't know everything in the future. And so it's in those moments that, you know, I mean, even us as a family, we have to say, don't we, it is well with my soul because things may not seem perfect. perfect or maybe our children aren't where we want them to be or in a position they should be in or, uh, you know, being the way they should be or maybe our finances aren't exactly where we'd like them to be because things that weren't foreseen happened and and maybe, you know, you you get a report from the doctor that wasn't foreseen, you can still say it is well with my soul because really your peace is from the Lord, not from your surroundings, amen? So that's so powerful to see. I want to get into the message this morning. We've been talking about um, this idea, really, a current series called God on Film. And so we've been finding ways to take, you know, past and present films and maybe pull some ideas and principles out of that. You know, I've said it before, but Jesus spoke in parables and he spoke in story. And even all through scripture, you see these different stories, these uh, symbols, this uh, hyperbole; these different things, because as human beings, we're moved by mental images, aren't we? We're moved by story, and, and there's something about it. And so, when Jesus would speak to the crowds, he would speak uh, first of all in language they would understand. You know, he would use parables about farming, or you know, a son and a father, and all these different scenarios. So people go, "Yeah, yeah, I've been there. I, I, I understand that. I see what you're saying, Jesus." And I believe that even today, uh, these different industries like TV and movie can, can still do that same thing for us. I believe that spirit is even moving through things and people when they don't even know it. And so there's times I'll watch a movie and I'll be like, whoa, there is kingdom all over this movie. And I don't even know if the person who produced or directed knows what they were saying, but there's these powerful truths that you can pull out of that. And so I think it's important, you know, what we put before our eyes and into our ears, absolutely. But I do think there's moments where, you know, for me, watching this visual thing, and I, I myself, you know, I'm a small-time filmmaker slash videographer, and so I love this, this medium. I love the creativity and seeing what people can do with it. But so often there's a story being told, but there's even stories beneath those stories. And so... Today I wanted to talk from, I just want to say two words, Jurassic Park. What does that bring to mind? Or Jurassic World, right? Jurassic Park. What comes to mind when I say that movie title? For me, it takes me all the way back to 1993, when I was just like five years old. No, just kidding. It takes me all the way back to 1993, when I was completely wowed by the CGI that this movie brought forth. Anyone with me? I mean, even to this day, when you, when you watch it, I watched it so many times, because at the time I was working at a store that had electronics, and so that was one of the movies we would run over and over and over, and I got to the point where I would catch bad edits. I'd say, oh my gosh, look at the edit and stuff, you know? But, but I mean, you watch something so much, you can actually know where the bad edits are. But really, even today when you watch it, just the cinematography, the CGI, the way they put it together is still pretty amazing. And it even has built upon that to now this franchise is massive, right? We flash forward to 2021 and we've gone from Jurassic Park to Jurassic World in a sum total of five movies. And by the way, there's a sixth in the making is supposed to come out in 2022. So if you're into that kind of thing then there's more coming out. But, but there's, there's something about these movies. Let me say this. Obviously, someone is watching these movies. Because yeah, right. if they weren't, they wouldn't have five going on six. It wouldn't happen. If it doesn't make money, Hollywood's not going to produce another movie. Come on. Yeah. And so obviously, someone is watching these movies. Now, all of these movies, I mean, they're pretty much the same. I mean, even though they have maybe a different plot kind of within it, It's pretty much the same premise, right? Man is infatuated with dinosaurs. Man uses technology and DNA to create dinosaurs. Man uses technology and DNA to create hybrid super dinosaurs. Man gets eaten. The end. I mean, isn't that pretty much the premise? When you go there, let's be honest, I know you're Jesus followers, you're all about peace and love, pursuing peace and all, but you're just waiting because someone's going to get chomped on pretty soon. And it's always this idea, you know, of, hey, let's make it bigger and better and we can control it this time, but it never happens. When will they learn? But see, it wouldn't be a movie, you know, without having that crisis, right? Right. And so we go every time because we want to see what they're going to do next, what they're going to create next, and who's going to get eaten next. Let's be honest. You know, all of my grandsons, and really my sons too, they all have been in that dinosaur phase. There, there's just something about the, the teeth and the skin and the sheer magnitude of these animals, of these beasts. And so they absolutely love, they're enamored with them uh, my son, or my, my grandson, Bear. We call him Bear. Barrett. He absolutely loves anything with teeth. Anything that can growl. I mean, dinosaurs, wolves. He, I mean, he's into anything like that, and it's really awesome. I mean, you should see the look that he gets on his face when he's playing with those figurines or he's talking. He's like, Papa, do you like wolves? They're awesome, right? He always says, right? Make sure you're with them you know, in in this this conversation. He just absolutely loves it. We're just mesmerized by these wonderful beasts, right? But in every movie, I think about this as I was kinda thinking about what to talk about today. In every one of these movies, it's it's the idea of trying to bring back something that was lost, right, right? Like Barrett would say bring back something that was lost uh, an era that we're not quite sure of everything and you know between science and creationists and all these I get we have all these different ideas but we're all still fascinated with the idea of dinosaurs aren't we and it's almost like we don't want to bring it back to eat us we just want to bring it back to see what it was like but again it's a sense of something that was lost it's a world that was lost it was a time that was lost and so for me this reminds me of Jesus and his mission. The mission of Jesus was to bring salvation to a lost world. That beautiful word salvation, if you've gone here any amount of time, you know it's preservation, safety, healing, wholeness, deliverance. Jesus wanted to bring salvation and did bring salvation, hallelujah, to a lost world. It was a rescue mission. And so today I wanna talk about this idea of a renewed world. Say that with me, a renewed world. You realize that Jesus did not come to this planet, God in flesh, in order to establish a new religion? But somehow we've taken some portions of what Jesus has said and done, and even many times, maybe unknowingly pulled them out of context, right? And we've created this religion around Jesus. And so then he's no different than any other religious figure or character. There's a list, there's things to do. And I'm not against things to do, but we've made Jesus into a religion. Do you realize Jesus actually came to bring us salvation? A new way of living, to, in his death, burial, and resurrection, to literally create this brand new world that's been bursting forth for over 2,000 years. See, to me, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom, I guess, God in flesh, 100% human, 100% God, but then to think about, that, to take it, not just from the physical point of what Jesus did, but the spiritual point, of what Jesus did for us. Do you realize that Jesus, which, by the way, is the word of God, John tells us, right? People say, do you believe that the word of God is infallible, it's perfect, it's without contradiction? Like, absolutely, Jesus is. (laughs) Because he's the word of God, right? And so, do you realize that in the very beginning, that life force, the word of God, was when all creation began? And so to me, it's not that hard to fathom that this God in flesh, not just physical, but spiritual, birthed forth a brand new way, this renewed world. Now, of course, you look around and you're like, well, how is it new? But see, it starts with transformation of hearts. And I think, unfortunately, the church, me included for many years, and I still, I listen, I'm learning my way on this journey. I'm on a journey with you. I'm not up here, you know, bigger than you, trying to speak down to you and tell you, I've got it figured out. We're all learning, right? We're all on a journey. But I think sometimes the church has dropped the ball. We've missed the point. We've made the main point kind of lower than our theology and our little arguments and the little things that sometimes really don't matter. It's okay to study those things. But anything salvific in nature, we've kind of not really got it. It didn't click. And so when we, I believe when we do pursue things kingdom minded, what happens is we accept those around us to a place where we have conversations, their heart begins to open. And then we trust by faith. Holy Spirit is big enough to begin to transform their heart. Because listen, politicians, world systems are not going to change anything. It might be like a temporary change, but changed hearts is what will manifest in a change throughout the world. Is this making sense this morning? And so I believe that Jesus came on this mission. He wanted to bring salvation and did bring salvation to a lost world, but there's many who just don't see that. I mean, think about this idea of a lost world. Let's say this way, a fallen world. Has anyone heard the term the fall? If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard of the fall, Right? It's this time when in the creation story, the creation poem, beautiful Hebrew poem, where it's telling the story of mankind and how how creation made this decision through man to go a different way than what God had said to go. Actually, to literally say, you know what, I don't know if I can trust everything you're saying, maybe you're holding out on me, so I wanna be my own God, make my own decisions, no good and evil on my own, without just complete faith and trust in you, and we call that the fall. But think about this idea of the fall. What happens, when you fall. I mean, think about the very definition of that. It's to move downward from a higher level to a lower level. In other words, um, I was at the top of the stairs, now I'm at the bottom, right? Not not a good place to be, especially if you didn't walk down, you fell. (laughs) You're up here, and now you end up down here. And so when we think of it in line of that, it's literally, this is how I see it, that that Jesus came to bring us back up to this, this higher consciousness where we always should have been in life. But Adam and Eve chose a different way and they fell to a lower consciousness, not seeing that they were already built and made in the image of God, reflecting his image. They fell down to a level trying to be gods on their own. And I believe that Jesus came to say, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. You're already there. But because you don't see it, because you don't believe it, you don't walk in it. I say this often, that belief is so necessary and so very important because you only walk in, you only benefit from the things that you believe are true, right? It's your belief system. How many know we all have beliefs? Someone could say, well, you know, I'm an atheist, I don't have, I'm not a believer. Oh yeah, you believe something. We all believe something. But what do we believe? I was talking to someone yesterday, an awesome Catholic brother of mine, and we were talking about this. He was in this situation where he, he said he was at the laundromat, and he walked in and he began talking to uh, Southern Baptists. How many are familiar with Southern Baptists, Catholic, all these? And so he's talking all about Jesus and salvation. This guy is a Catholic guy, just about all these wonderful things Jesus has done in his life and salvation and that, and they got done, about a 45-minute talk, and he goes, you probably, probably would be surprised to know that I'm Catholic, right? And they went, what? See, it's funny sometimes because we have preconceived ideas based on what maybe someone has told us about someone. Maybe we need to sit down and have conversations with people and realize, wait a minute, so Jesus is the way, truth, and life to you? He's the center of everything? This is amazing. We have more things in common than not right? But I think about this in line with the mission of Jesus. We had fallen from our rightful place as sons and daughters to this orphan level. So now instead of thinking as sons and daughters, we begin thinking as orphans. That's what the apostle Paul alludes it to. And I think it's important that we see this because it's a people who had lost their identity, They didn't know who they are. That's what an orphan is. He doesn't know who his family is, his lineage, where he comes from. You see, God's vision of us, I want you to catch this God's vision of us and all of creation has never changed. That's why he hasn't gone anywhere. He's still here. He wants us to awaken to our true identity. So it wasn't that God's mind changed. How we saw things changed. And so Jesus came to reveal to us this whole new way of seeing life, this renewed world that we could participate in. Isn't that awesome? And so really the mission boils down to this, rescuing those who had lost their identity. This was the mission of Jesus. And let me go on to say, this is our mission. It's our mission to rescue those who have lost their identity. How do we do that, Pastor? Through relationship, through communication, through getting to know people, understanding their heart, them understanding your heart, having a relationship with them. You know, after the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, how many are familiar with this story? Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John. John the Baptist is his name. He was baptized and it says immediately he was driven into the wilderness and he went through this temptation period Again, I really like to study how things work in Scripture, and I like to see that the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, if you look at it, it was the exact same temptation that man had in the garden. And so really we can see it's the temptation of man in the creation story versus the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And so think about this. In both scenarios, the enemy is tempting them to trade out their identity as children of God for an identity made of their own volition. In both situations, it's the same deal. And so in the creation story, they believed the lie, right? There was a lie given to them. They believed the lie that they needed more and so what did they do? They go about this by their own works, by their willpower. But what's so cool, in the temptation of Jesus, he recognizes the lie. He sees through the lie. And he turns down the temptation three times. And so I see in one story where a man, mankind, gave in to the temptation. But I see where the God-man did not give in to the temptation. He resisted. He saw through the lie. It's a picture of how we can now live life. We can see through the lies that the enemy, the enemies of our soul will bring toward us. See, knowing who you are and whose you are, it really does matter, doesn't it? It helps you in those those battles in your soul where you're being told a story that's not true. You're being told a lie about yourself. You can choose to resist that lie, to see through that lie, but it only happens when you know who you are and whose you are. And that's why I think this identity thing, I mean, every single week at some point, just count out one week. I don't have it written down because I don't do it on purpose, but how many times do I say the word identity? There's something about Identity, true identity, not false identity, true story, not a false story about who you are. And so it's important that we see this in order to be successful in kingdom life. And so I want to pick up here in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 4. This is right after the temptation of Jesus where he, he resists. He, let's say he wins. He defeats the enemy in this showdown. In verse 13, Matthew chapter 4. What did he do? It says he left Nazareth, Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So, I mean, my dad used to say this. I think it's interesting. Jesus had a, a, a house on, on, on the water, you know? So here he is, he's making his home here. It says this was in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, 14. So what the prophet Isaiah had say, said came true. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali on the way to the sea across the Jordan River, Galilee, Where foreigners live. Now listen to verse 16. The people who lived in what? Darkness have seen a bright light. Now to me this is really cool because many times when you see the word darkness in scripture it refers to ignorance. Not understanding. We can literally say these people were living in ignorance. Unaware of their true identity. Unaware that salvation was there among them. Living among them. But then what happens? They had seen a bright light. They began to get a revelation of the truth of who they were through Jesus. Look at this. A light has risen for those who live in a land overshadowed by death. But I want us to pick up here in verse 17. This is really powerful. From then on, say from then on. on. Revelation began to happen. From then on, look at the message of Jesus. What did he begin to tell people? Turn to God and change the way you think and act. Now, some versions say repent, right? That word metanoia in the Greek means to change your mind. And what happens when you change your mind? What else else changes? Your actions. Come on now. I, I love this translation. Turn to God and change the way you think and act. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near. Now, it's not only near. Look what Jesus says to uh, some Pharisees who asked them this question in Luke 17. It says, the Pharisees asked Jesus when, say when, when the kingdom of God would come. They're trying to put it in a time frame, right? They're trying to understand, like, these are good Jewish religious leaders. They mean well. See, sometimes we give them a really bad rap, don't we? That Pharisee. Well, guess what? I've ran into grace Pharisees as well. So anyone can be a Pharisee. Come on. But they ask him a question. They really want to know the answer. They're like, Jesus, you, you're a, a great rabbi. Uh, many believed that he was a prophet. You know, many of the religious, religious leaders did follow Jesus. Not all of them rejected Jesus. But they said, when, putting a time frame on it, when will the kingdom of God come? You want to see his answer? He says people can't observe the coming of the kingdom of God. They can't say, here it is, there it is, you see, here it comes, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first discovered this scripture, I was like, okay, got to walk away for a minute here. This, this is really, this is doing something with my head. You ever had these moments where you read something? Come on, you read something, you're like, okay, this is messing with my head right now because I thought we were waiting on something in the sweet by and by to happen. And Jesus over 2,000 years ago is saying, guys, guys, you can't observe it. It's not like here it is, there it is. It's within you. In other words, it's been there all along. Your true source, your identity, your origin, your connection to life, the, thing that, the very thing that animates your very body, it's already been there. Which makes sense. If we're made in the image and likeness of God, if we reflect his nature. But let me say something. If you don't know it, you won't walk in it. If you don't see it, you won't embrace it and you won't benefit from it. Let me say this. Others won't benefit from it. Because for years growing up in church and I'm just as guilty, I would say praise the Lord, hallelujah, all the right good intentions, go to church every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, Thursday, conferences. Come on, Linda. Come on. We've been there, right? Yeah, yeah. But I look back at my life. Not so much with regret. Holy Spirit's helped me deal with that. Say, listen, you are where you are. You're on a journey. But I look back at that and I think, out of all those things I did for all those years, really good things, there were many times I wasn't reflecting the image of God. And I think even today, many times the church is not reflecting the image of God. I love the church. There is no entity on earth so powerful that can radically change the hearts of people, that can change the movement and the flow of this world than the church, than the body of Christ, than the kingdom of God, but so many times We go off the rails and in the ditches so far that we no longer reflect the image of God. We reflect the image of a man or a certain theology or a box of religion. And I want us to shake that off and say, Holy Spirit, just bring me revelation of the kingdom. What does it look like to live like you live, Jesus? Jesus. But if we say that, we gotta be open to sometimes that challenging our belief system, challenging our thinking. Does this make sense? I'm not mad at anyone, I'm just being real with y'all. It's important for all of us to be on a journey. A journey isn't stopping building a monument and staying there, a journey is continual movement. Can I get an amen? It's movement. And so I was even telling this brother yesterday, I said, you know what? You almost have to get to a point and a place in your life where you're okay living uncomfortable. Because it doesn't take faith to live in a comfortable place where you know where, where the edges are and the lines are, but it takes faith to go outside those lines, right? outside those barriers and those boxes that we build That's a really tough thing to do. And so I've learned to actually be comfortable being uncomfortable. Does that make sense? And man, it's like, I don't know, for me, for me, my own story, it's just, it's radically changed me into just, I'm so hungry for more. Not something different, but just more. God, bring me more. And and what that does is begins to open you up to people. So Jesus said, listen, the kingdom of God is within you. Look at the person next to you and say, the kingdom of God is within you. Now look at the person on the other side. You picked them last, let's be honest, and say, the kingdom of God is within you. So if it's in you, what do we do with it? Work it out if the kingdom's in you. This is what's so cool about salvation. I used to think that salvation, and again, this is my journey, right? So like, you only know so much. I used to think salvation was, well, I was in a service one day and the preacher was preaching about Jesus and I got excited and I came up to an altar or I raised my hand and I prayed a prayer and I, I got salvation. You're like, you did? You're like, yeah, I got it all, I'm done. No, you're not. Because if you just read scripture, we're told to work out our salvation. They go as far as to say to those being saved, like it's an active thing that's happening. And then once you realize the definition, preservation, safety, deliverance, healing, wholeness, I'm like, wow, there's so many facets in my life. Some facets I wasn't aware of that I needed deliverance in until further down the line. I'm like, okay, this is making sense. I'm working out my salvation. I'm being saved in that area and then in this area and then another area. Isn't that awesome? Have you heard people say, God's not done with you yet? Nope, he's not. There's a whole lot of saving going on in your life, but we have to be open to that, right? And so that's why I I guess we really make a big deal at Faith City that it's not a one and done thing. It's something that you're growing. You're on a journey. It's it's being saved in so many different areas of your life. And so I believe it's the same with the kingdom. That salvation, that kingdom, it resides within. What do you do? We have to let it out. We can't just keep it all for ourselves. And that's the beauty of the analogy of fruit. You bear fruit. Why do you bear fruit? Not just for yourself. Fruit is meant to be enjoyed by others. When I go to, when I go, when we went just recently and picked strawberries, oh man, we were just digging around. We're like, oh, over here, over here, look at this. Remember some of those, honey? They were just like perfect and just juicy and amazing and you preserved and canned a lot and man, we're just flying through that freezer jam. It's so good. But that fruit was being produced. Do you know that fruit was actually fulfilled by us picking it? That plant was being fulfilled by us picking the fruit and enjoying it. I've sent pictures. Look at I'm enjoying your jam. No, but... (laughs) But it's the same with us as we produce fruit. It's meant for people to go, ooh, I want some of that. So are we displaying the fruit of the Spirit? Or like I say, some kind of frankenfruit that we've conjured up? Because there's a big difference, right? And so what do we do? We work it out. Okay, pastor, that's great. What does that really mean? How do I work out the kingdom? Well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not living by a list of rules and regulations. I don't mind rules, I don't mind parameters, but when it, when it takes faith out of the equation, then I think we have an issue. Does that make sense? When what you do for the kingdom is something you feel obligated to do rather than something you're inspired to do, that's when it becomes an issue. That's when it becomes laborious. That's when it becomes hard. And so sometimes I've even had to question myself and say, why does this feel so hard? Oh, well, maybe it's self-effort. Maybe I'm not in the flow I'm supposed to be and so I have to question some of those things. But usually it's, am I being inspired to do this? Am I tapping into that kingdom that's within me? Am I working out that salvation that's in me? Because what happens is you begin to see, oh, maybe I've been doing this for myself versus others these are challenging things that come up in our lives sometimes and it's okay what it's also not is a life that's achieved through self-righteousness or dead works as the writer of hebrews tells us there's work to do but it should be living works not dead works right so i believe the best way to live out kingdom life is to live a life of love Compassion, acceptance, and forgiveness. We begin to live out a life of love, compassion, acceptance, and forgiveness. And a lot of times that starts with you loving yourself, having compassion towards yourself. Come on, forgiving yourself. These are important things to do. Accepting yourself. Sometimes we don't see the true self. We don't see the true identity of who we are and whose we are. And again, we full circle. That's why it's important to see these things. But I personally found that this is the absolute best way to help people rediscover what was lost. To actually believe in the way of Jesus. To say yes to the way of life. I used to be one of those preachers because I didn't know any better that thought if I give someone a list of all the things they don't measure up to and all the things they are not, hallelujah, then they'll receive Jesus. But I realized it wasn't working the way I wanted it to. People are just like, my God, I'm not even good enough for salvation. It's like, no, the, the whole point of salvation is showing you who you really are, who you truly are, how God truly sees you. He loves you. He accepts you right where you are. He forgives you past, present, and future. Done deal. Slate wiped clean. So accept it. And when you accept it, what happens? You begin to see your true identity. And then the actions and the words change. It's such a different way. I mean, it's just this little, it's just a little, uh, what's the word? Just a little, eh, what's the word? (laughs) Huh? Yeah, a little tweak. I like that. Just a little tweak, a different way. But when you do, uh, it's just a whole different way to live. I've said it before that you know, if you're born in fear, you know, fear of God, fear of what's going to happen, praise God, you know, like Paul said, at least you're preaching Christ, at least people have accepted, but then you look at people who are born out of love, they see the love of God and say, yes, it's a life of love versus a life of fear. And I'd rather people be born in and through and of the love of God than fear, Because then they don't have to deal with all this stuff, right? Relearn a bunch of stuff to feel like they're okay enough to have a relationship with God. The whole point is he's already made the relationship open, free, clear. Just say yes. Just believe. Just step into it. It's not hard. There's not hurdles. There's not jumps. It's already done. Amen? If you look through the life of Jesus... He gives us this example through his entire ministry of love, compassion, acceptance, and forgiveness. Before the cross, he was walking in love, right? He was accepting people. Why? Because love accepts people. He was forgiving people. Why? Because love forgives He had this ultimate compassion. Even the Greek for it is huge. It says when he was moved with compassion, it was like at the very center of his being, like literally being moved from the inside out. That's Jesus. That's his heart toward people. But there's one story that I absolutely love. There's so many different stories and even parables, but there's a story that I love, and I've shared it quite often. And I'm gonna share it again because I'm the pastor and I'm behind the pulpit. So if you heard it before, Great, you'll be reminded, but maybe you've never heard the story before of Zacchaeus. And so we have Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the city of Jericho. Now, for those who don't know the history of it, tax collectors in this day for Rome were usually Jews who would be hired by Rome to collect taxes for Rome from their own people. And so they would, you know, there's a certain amount that, that, that Rome would want, right? But they would collect anything on top of that to be their own. Can you see why, you know, they were grouped in with the sinners, sinners and tax collectors? People didn't like him very much. But he was a chief tax collector, which historians believe meant that he actually wasn't just a tax collector. He had many tax collectors who worked for him underneath him, right? And so he was in the city of Jericho. Scholars actually believe that because of the lucrative production and export of balsam um, being centered in the city, if you're not familiar with it, balsam is this aromatic, resinous substance that they would get from trees and from bushes, and it was actually used as a base for certain fragrances and expensive perfumes. It was also used for uh, medical preparations and medicinal healing ointments, so it was like the stuff to have, and so this, this city would export this, and they believe because of that, that his position would have carried both great importance and some serious wealth. Say serious wealth. This guy was loaded, but at the expense of his own people. And so Jesus comes into the town, comes into Jericho one day, And Zacchaeus, of course, has heard of Jesus. I mean, usually when Jesus came in, some type of crowd would form. Many believed he was the Messiah. Many believed he was a great prophet, uh, at least an awesome rabbi. He had great stories. He was healing the sick. Everywhere he went, these amazing miracles and things were happening. And so he walks into Jericho. This crowd begins to gather around him. And Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is in town. And so it says that he came out. He couldn't see because of the crowd, so he climbs this tree. There's a whole song about this in children's church if you're growing up in church, right? We're not going to go there. But he climbs up in this tree because he wants to see Jesus. Now, I don't know what his intentions are, right? I mean, we like to think he really was just looking for a change in his life and was seeking Jesus. But maybe he just was like, man, this Jesus cat is like pretty popular and I like being popular. Let me, let me see what's going on with him. What's he doing to bring all these crowds? He's getting all this uh, favoritism and this, this popularity and this celebrity. I want to check this out. And so he climbs up into this tree because he wants to get a look at Jesus. And then to Zacchaeus' surprise, Jesus looks up at him. There's a whole crowd of people. Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus! Now, what is going through the mind of Zacchaeus who's never met Jesus? What? what first of all, how do you know me? What, I don't know you. Who told you about me? I gotta imagine that someone in this position was pretty suspicious. This guy probably had security around his house. I mean, this guy didn't know death threats. Who knows what could be happening because he was working for the Roman government. The Jews were under Roman occupation. They were being taxed somewhere between 80 and 90% historians tell us, and they were starving. Literally did not have food to eat. And he's a fat cat on the hill in his beautiful home with a brand new state-of-the-art whatever your chariot, in a nice infinity pool. I'm sure people didn't like him very much. But he calls his name Zacchaeus. He says, I want you to come down. He actually says in the original, hurry down. There's no time to waste. I'm heading over to your house right now. What was going through the mind of Zacchaeus? Better yet, what was going through the mind of the people or the religious leaders who saw this transpire on this day. Because in this culture, when you sat with someone, when you had a meal with them, you were saying, I accept you. Come on, somebody. I want us to kind of get the tone of what's going on here. I accept you. Jesus was saying, Zacchaeus, I accept you. And in this time, you didn't accept tax collectors. They were traitors to your people. But remember what I said. Living out kingdom life is living a life of love, compassion, acceptance, and forgiveness. What does this acceptance do in the heart of Zacchaeus? Something unexpected and unexplainable began to happen within his heart. Now, we don't know how long he had an audience with the living God, God in flesh, Jesus in his home. Two hours, four hours, six hours? We don't know. We don't know what they talked about. We can only guess. But I would say that we can assume that they ate a meal together and Jesus probably listened a lot. Something I need to take note of. Listen more than you speak. I believe Jesus listened to Zacchaeus. He heard his story. Why did he get into this vocation? Why is he doing what he's doing? I mean, Zacchaeus must have thought, nobody listens to me except for a few guys who work for me, but this guy cares. He listens. He gets it. I can imagine Zacchaeus looking to the most compassionate, loving accepting, forgiving eyes he's ever seen and thinking, does Jesus know who I am? Does he know who's sitting around my dinner table right now? He must know. Does he know what I do for a living? Does he know what paid for this meal? Does he know how I paid for this house with the brand new chariot out front and the infinity pool? Does he really know? He must. But Jesus doesn't reject me. And how do we know that this transformation began to happen? How do we know that whatever they talked about, that somehow it began to transform the heart of Zacchaeus. We picked the story up in Luke chapter 19 and verse 8. Look at this. I love this translation. I actually changed this today. I sent it to the computer guys. I said, you, you, got it. you got to put this translation up. This is so cool. Look at this in the Passion Translation. Zacchaeus was what? Amazed over his gracious visit to his home and joyously welcomed Jesus. He was amazed at his gracious visit. See, Zacchaeus knew that he wasn't worthy. I'm sure when he was sitting there with Jesus and he began to see the true power, somebody, God in flesh, but someone who actually knew who he was and whose he was, reflecting the image of God, it did something to the heart of Zacchaeus. And he was amazed over this gracious visit. Look at this. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord. I mean, there must have been a point where he was just like bubbling over and he couldn't, he just couldn't hold it in anymore. And he jumps up and he says, half of all that I own, I will give to the poor. What? This greedy, selfish man named Zacchaeus stands up and says, half of all that I own, I will give to the poor. Not only that, and Lord, if I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay them back, what? Four times as much as I stole wow do you think a transformation happened in the heart of Zacchaeus and it all began with acceptance see sometimes we think that if we accept someone it means that we agree with everything that they believe and live but that's just not the truth you can accept someone where they are. Now, there's a difference between, well, I'll accept you, but I'm still better than you. Nope, wrong. Come on, I've experienced that in my life. Even, even things I put on myself like, man, maybe one day I can be as spiritual as they are. And you put yourself down, not even realizing it. It's like you reflect the same image that they reflect. Maybe they just have cleaned the mirror up a little better and it's a better reflection. But you have the same Jesus, the same God living on the inside of you, the same kingdom that you can reflect coming from the inside of you. Look what Jesus says. This this is another one of those moments. I remember telling you about this one day. I said, look what Jesus said. He says, your repentance shows that today life, many translations say salvation, has come to you in your household. One translation says salvation has come to this house today. And I went, Another closed the book moment, I said, okay, babe, this is is crazy. Jesus didn't die on the cross yet. How did salvation come to his house? But then I started studying, oh, salvation's more than just a prayer you pray, wants to go somewhere in the future. Preservation, safety, healing, wholeness, restoration, deliverance. He was delivered from his greed. He was delivered from whatever image he thought he had to have to be someone in life and take from others to build himself up. Do you see this? Salvation has come to his house. He says, your repentance shows that today life, say life, how many can use some life? Here and now. He said, life has come to you and your household and that you are a true son of Abraham. In other words, you are now beginning to reflect the truth of who you are. Come on. I love this in verse 10. He said, the son of man, has come to seek out and to give life, say life, to those who are lost. If this is the mission of Jesus, I think it should be our mission as well. How about you? See, when you have intimate relationship with the divine, with the God of the universe, it makes you begin to question motives, and actions and attitudes and words, doesn't it? That's what it's done in my life. And I had to get to a place where, you know, like like anything in life, as you grow and mature, it's awakening to these these lies that you believe about yourself, these false ways of acting, um, you know, The word sin, hamartia, in the Greek, it literally means to live outside of your true identity. So you begin to see, wow, I'm I'm actually living out of another identity that's false. I need to get back into the identity that God has given me from the very beginning. And so I've had to work past sometimes feeling guilty or feeling shame or feeling regret because I've wasted time. I think I've told the story about Jim Scalise, just, man, just ooze the love of God, right? I mean, the first thing he'd say, "I love you." You know, I love you. I mean, that's I, from the pulpit when he met you. Just, it's like, can I just hug you? Because he was just like a big teddy bear. I remember sitting right in town here at a local restaurant, and and we're having this conversation. And I was new to pastoring and new in ministry, and you know, I could go back through all the wrong decisions I had made, the bad decisions I had made, how I squandered and wasted, and going on and on. And he goes, "Stop." I said, what? He said, why are you going on about this? I said, well, I just, I guess I, I regret not doing this sooner. He says, listen, young man, you're exactly where God wants you right now. You haven't lost anything. And it's people like that who are willing to hear the voice of Holy Spirit and to speak life that's life. That was life for me. To speak life into us. And so I want to be a Jim Scalise. But what we can say is like Jesus. Because that's what Jim was doing. He was just exuding the love of God. He, he was like Jesus for me at that moment. Because he's reflecting the image. But I want to be that to those around me. And I still deal with like, you know, the thing that makes people laugh the most is the thing that irritates people the most about me is my sarcasm. (laughs) Ask my wife. When I'm funny, I'm funny. When I'm not, I'm certainly not. Right? And so I've had to learn when and where to use, if it's fun and ingest, I get that, but because I had such such a low self-esteem and such a a bad image of myself, I would use that as a weapon because if I could bring others down, then I would feel okay about myself. But what I've realized is the more that I awaken to my identity, the less I do that because I don't have to anymore. I'm secure. I'm a secure, mature son or getting there and as you mature, come on. I mean, there's a reason that Do you know that in scripture, even when you read an English version of the Bible and it says son, do you know there's actually three Greek words for son? And so sometimes you read along you're like, oh son, you just go read over son. But one actually means an infant, one is like an adolescent, and the other is a mature son. And so a little homework for you, read the story of the prodigal. And see the words that are used for the two sons. It might surprise you. Who is the mature one versus who is the adolescent? That's pretty interesting. But it's it's important that we see these things. So as we mature in knowing who we are, guess what? We don't have to put others down to make ourselves feel better. We have confidence in who we are in Christ. So again, when you begin to have the intimate relationship with the divine, when you open yourself up by faith and say, I'm open... Show me those areas where I'm believing lies. Heal those areas in my life. You will begin to question the motives, the actions, the attitudes, and the words that you live by. But that's a good thing because then you can find the truth of who you are and begin to operate in that. So what can we walk away with this morning? In the words of Jesus, the kingdom of God is within you. So let it out. Let it out. To those around you. Let out the love, the compassion, the acceptance, and the forgiveness. Walk in it. Relish it. Become comfortable in it, which isn't easy. That's why I said by faith, step into it, because sometimes it's not comfortable. But get comfortable with your identity, with the kingdom within you. Again, relish it. It's you who has a calling and purpose. And really, this is your calling and purpose to discover the kingdom, discover the salvation, to begin to work it out and let it out. And let me say this, it may look a little different for you than it looks for me or for you because we all have you know, divine gifts, special abilities, certain callings in our life, but own it, own who you are, your sons and daughters of God. Recognize your identity, In the family. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and love. We thank you for your compassion, your acceptance, your forgiveness. I pray this morning if any of us here watching online or here physically, if we're struggling with this, if we're struggling with a sense of identity, If we're struggling with, uh, am I really truly forgiven? Does God really love me that, Holy Spirit, you right now are just working in their heart and you're showing them the truth of how you see each and every person. We're sons and daughters. For those maybe who are here or watching who've never heard the gospel, never heard this good news message, I pray that even now, Holy Spirit, you're working in their heart. That maybe many here today are saying, yes, yes. I want to follow you, Jesus. Yes, I'm beginning to see that I have purpose in my life. You have a calling on my life. Kingdom's within me. I need to awaken to this righteousness, as the apostles tell us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do the work. You do the saving. You bring the salvation. And we simply say, yes, we receive that. Say this with me. Holy Spirit, yes, I receive salvation. Holy Spirit, please show me any areas of my life, in my soul, where I'm believing a lie. Jesus, I give you permission to minister truth and life to me. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. God's awesome. You receive that? That's awesome. Well, listen, guys, just um, make sure this week that you're keeping the Siglo family lifted up in prayer just for continued comfort and peace and just wisdom you know, as they, I mean, you just, you got stuff you got to do and it's not always easy to go through things and set things up and all those things. So be praying for them. Continue just being in agreement uh, for Jay and the Barancic household uh, for just quick, complete healing in their bodies. And also for Jen that I don't know exactly where we are on this and that, but I know they have some procedures they're going to do. We're just praying it goes off without a hitch. Amen. So when you're thinking about that, Holy Spirit brings it, your remember and say, thank you, Lord. I'm in agreement. We don't have to beg God. It's already done. We just thank him and we're in agreement. Amen. Amen. Awesome. We'll be back next week. Make sure you bring your dish to pass. Pete's going to have an awesome message for you guys. I already know it. And not only that, you guys can go hang out at the Heist Farm. It's the only bummer. We won't be able to be there. So hopefully we can do one more in September or something like that. Just get together, hang together, be together. But until then, know that we love you guys. We're praying for you. And we'll see you again really soon. Have a good week. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.